Hi, everybody. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We're authorized infinite banking practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. Welcome, everybody, to episode 15 of the fifth edition. Title of today's episode is Whole Life Insurance is Not an Expense. And we're going to be talking about the costs of different types of insurance and analyzing whether or not whole life insurance is an actual expense or whether it's an asset. What are your thoughts, John? I believe it's about understanding how whole life insurance really works. Uh, As Nelson mentioned, whole life is misclassified. And uh, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the mindset that the majority of Americans have, which is a scarcity mindset. So it leads them to believe that everything is expensive or they can't afford things. And they're really not looking at things the right way. And whole life definitely falls into that scarcity mindset that most people have. And it's a big reason why people fail to really understand the value that you get in a whole life policy. I'm excited to hear you talk about the misclassification. Um, You know, a lot of people listening to this might also be familiar with, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. A A really simple way to look at it is, you know, he says the poor and middle class Uh, spend their money on liabilities where the rich buy assets. And so the first thing to understand is that term insurance is a liability and permanent whole life insurance is an asset. Right. Because the liability is something that costs you money and it keeps costing you money. Whereas an asset is something that increases in value over time. And what you get with a permanent cash value policy, like a dividend paying whole life is a uncorrelated asset that has a fixed premium and is guaranteed to grow in value. No matter what happens in the economy and the market, it's guaranteed to get better every single year. That is an asset. Yeah. And in addition to that, it also produces an income. Yeah. It it has the ability to produce an income if you're utilizing it as a retirement plan. For most people, their, their retirements are squared away, or at least they think they're squared away because they have a 401k and an IRA. And they think, well, you know, what other options do I have? Because this is all I've ever been presented with. And in actuality, a dividend paying whole life policy can also be an option. And in fact, it's existed for far longer than any 401k and IRA, which really have only been around since the 1970s, I believe. Whole life policies, if you know the track record, these are private contracts have nothing to do with the government. Government didn't create it. It's not an act of Congress. This is a private contract that's been available and around for 150 plus years. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. You know, I get on the, some of the internet interwebs forums from time to time and get into some, you know, discussions with people. And it was, I was on one of the real estate forums not too long ago. And a a guy, um, you know, was kind of trying to tell me that, paying for whole and life, whole life insurance is, is, you know, not the best idea. He likes to, he likes to save his money and buy income generating assets that perform well and, and self-insure. And so I just replied and said, yeah, that's interesting because my clients love whole life insurance because it is itself an income generating asset that they can then use to buy other income generating assets. And so that kind of ended that uh, that portion of the conversation, which was, um, you know, just pretty interesting because you see a lot of people that are, you know, even in, even in the, 
you know, the world where we think people are fairly savvy, like actual investors, even even those guys aren't really looking at the big picture and, and understanding, you know, some of the different asset classes out there. Right. Well, they're, they're thinking in a either or proposition, right? Where there's opportunity cost yep. for where they place their money. This uh, kind of gets into the misclassification of whole life insurance, where people will look at it as one place for money without realizing a whole life policy, because it is liquid, you can access the cash values via policy loans and leverage that money elsewhere, what we may call uh, dual compounding, because you can get your money working in two places simultaneously. This is an and proposition. You can get your money working in two places at the same time. So like what you mentioned, you know, relating to that person on the forum, if you want to buy real estate assets, you can do that using your whole life policy as the source for those real estate investments, having your money work in two places at the same time. It's not an either or proposition, that mindset that so many people have because all they know is, well, I can only put my money in one place at one time. That's right. That's the typical way of, of thinking about that. And, and in fact, you know, I was kind of having a similar conversation as what we're having today about the cost of, of term insurance. And, and, you know, so getting back to the, the, specific topic of today is whole life insurance expensive and it when we when we calculate the cost of something the cost of something isn't the the price and it's not the payment you make the the true cost is what you're giving up when you use that money to do something else with any given transaction so there's always opportunity costs associated with anything we do um and as Nelson Nash and becoming your own banker, what he said was you finance everything you buy. You either pay interest to someone else when you're using loans or you give up interest you could have earned when paying cash. And so when we think of our financial activities in that, in that light, what we have to do is we have to look at what we're giving up when we pay for term. So term insurance absolutely has a lower payment for any given death benefit, right? Compared to whole life insurance. If I look at two insurance products that are equivalent in terms of death benefit, one of them is, is term and one of them is whole life, looking at a million dollar death benefit with some other you know, riders and benefits built into it, an annual premium for a 20 year term policy might be 3,500 bucks a year, right? That equivalent premium, a premium payment for a permanent life insurance policy, in this case, whole life insurance would be $15,000 a year. So five times more, right? And you're talking um, about a pure whole life policy there too, an all death benefit policy. Right. And, and as we, as we look at, you know, this whole life policy as well, we're going to actually pay this up in 20 years. But if I look at the the actual cost. So my alternative, instead of paying for those policies in this in this scenario, is I could have put that money in something earning 4% every year. And so we would just, some people would just call that the cost of money. And so if I look at the 50 year actual cost of what I gave up making these premium payments, the 50 year cost, meaning the money that was put into a term policy over 50 years, I could have had $350,000. And so that's actually the 
net compound cost, assuming I didn't die and I didn't take advantage of the death benefit or, or my family didn't get the death benefit, which, you know, less than 1% of the people with term insurance actually make a claim. Over 50 years, it'd be $350,000. But with permanent- One, um, one yeah. more assumption to make there too, mm-hmm. that the investment that you make turns out exactly as planned because we all know that happens. Well, right. So in this case, we're, we're just looking at something equivalent to what we would get with guaranteed cash value life insurance, which by the way, isn't, is, isn't really easy to get when, so you're right that for, we're assuming 4% every single year. And in fact, it, it is a viable number because we could put that into whole life insurance and get, get around 4%, you know, every single year, it obviously depends on your, your health and your wealth. But if we look at the 50 year net compound cost of the same of an equivalent whole life insurance policy the net compound cost is negative $480,000 because we have at the end of 50 years we have 2 million dollars in cash value and you subtract out all the compound costs of those payments and that's a $480,000 in the plus column plus a 2.2 million dollar death benefit and so if we look at if we look at things from that perspective it's very clear that term insurance is much more expensive than whole life insurance. And for people who maybe are more visual, I think, John, you you have uh, those notes or those numbers that we're going to include in the show notes and also on our website where we host the podcast, thefifthedition.com. Is that correct? Yeah, we'll have a, I'll have a table and a graph for everybody to take a look at and you can kind of see what I'm talking about. Okay, perfect. Perfect. We, we don't want you to just take our word for it. So we'll have the numbers there, but we also have a third party endorsement. For those of you who watch PBS, you may be familiar with Ed Slot. He is a tax and retirement expert. And listen to what he has to say about whole life and the fact that he does not consider whole life an expense. Take a listen. Hi, I'm Ed Slott, and I'm here to talk to you about the tax and planning benefits of life insurance. Life insurance can seem like an expense because premiums have to be paid, so you're laying out money. But it's not really an expense if you look at what you're getting for your money. Life insurance can provide you with protection, safety, and a guarantee. It can contribute to you and your family's long-term financial stability. It comes back to you when it's most needed, and it can help provide for decades. Think of it this way. If you move funds from one bucket to another, is that an expense? No. It's a deposit in a different bucket. It's merely changing pockets or moving your money from one place to potentially provide more benefit. One of the biggest risks to your financial stability is taxes. You should be concerned about how they could impact your lifestyle. A better plan might be to invest in a whole life insurance policy that can grow tax-free and pay out an income tax-free death benefit to those you wish to provide for, including a spouse you may leave behind that might need resources. If tax rates increase in the future, which is likely since they are so low now, that life insurance payout may be worth more because your beneficiaries will be able to keep 100% of those funds without ever having to worry about future higher taxes eating into that money. 
Life insurance is a contract with a guarantee, and that is critical for your family's long-term financial confidence. So a lot of powerful nuggets in that short video by Ed Slot. I like how he describes, you know, the buckets. You know, one way I've described that before is, you know, if you take money from your checking account and transfer that to your savings account, was that expensive? <laughs> and, and, you know, so it's, it's kind of a similar thing. If you take money from your left pocket and put it in your right pocket, was that an expensive transaction? And so I, I like the way he, uh, I like the way he describes that. Yeah, exactly. And people, they will ask, you know, uh, well, how much does it cost to get started with IBC? Mm -hmm. And I have to correct them and say, well, what does it cost you to put money in the bank? Right. That's great. Right. Because ultimately when you have one, two, three plus IBC policies, they're all going to work the same way. They're all guaranteed to grow every single year. The cash value is going to exceed your contributions. Imagine having a money machine where every dollar that you put into it now generates $1.10. And then the year after that, $1.20, right? And it just right. keeps on generating more money, cash on cash every single year. We, we talked about the misclassification of a whole life policy. And this is what I'm getting at when I talk about the misclassification of whole life. If you're thinking about whole life policy, as an expense and as an expensive way to provide coverage for your family. It really is a, a scarcity mindset that you've adopted and you have to realize that. When you're telling yourself that something is too expensive, you're basically telling yourself, I'll never be able to afford that. And the poor and middle class, I know this because I was definitely raised lower middle class. I had the scarcity mindset that I grew up with from my parents. This is something that I've had to overcome in time, but I see it when I talk to people who look at whole life insurance as an expense. And you have to start looking at it and seeing the value that it creates. And if you're looking at it the right way, you start thinking of this as a business, a money business, that's a profitable business. Suddenly you're not saying, I can't afford that or how much is that costing? When you start, when you start to see it for what it actually is, you start saying, well, how much can I put in there? And then we get great questions like, well, how much can I get? Right. But it's that, it's that shift. And starting a business is a great way to, to think about it. You know, a lot of people are working in a job and they have dreams of starting their own business, but they, they don't necessarily know when the right time will be. They don't, maybe don't know exactly what kind of business they'd want to start yet. Well, anyone, no matter what your job is, you could start your first business by simply starting the infinite banking concept. And you, you immediately are starting, as you said, a profitable business that also, by the way, can become the seed capital you need to start the other business that you're, that you were already thinking of doing, you know, in the future years down the road, whenever it becomes time to do it. And you never give up the growth on the first business you started because it's always growing every single year, even if you use that money to start your second, you know, quote unquote, real business. It's all how you look at things. I mean, you take anything and you hold it a certain way, it becomes a tool. Whole life is no different. Right. You just got to have it structured, implemented, and utilized in a very specific way, and it becomes a tool. Right. And it's this tool that we love, right? <laughs> well, it's also a tool that just keeps growing and growing and, and creates more. It's like a crowbar. It gives you more more leverage and control 
over other things you want to do over the course of your financial life. That's the perfect example. A crowbar by itself, what the heck do you do with it? But when you come across an application, it becomes a tool. You have to see it for what it is. That's it. And you know, it, it really is just another asset class. And so you have to look at it. You have to look at its expense, quote unquote expense for the asset class that it is, which is a savings asset, a cash asset. You had some good points around the tax of life insurance and how, how you can use that over the course of your financial life, which makes it even less quote unquote expensive. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we don't realize, or at least we don't look at it in this way, I'll sometimes let people know that Uncle Sam indirectly is helping them to buy their permanent cash value life insurance policy. And what I mean by that is this, if you weren't putting money into a whole life policy, you'd be parking that money someplace else and you'd have to pay taxes on the growth of that money, right? That's money that you'd have to send to the government and it'd be gone forever. But because you've made the decision to redirect money into a dividend paying whole life policy, the government has said, because life insurance policies ultimately are for the benefit of widows and orphans, that this money can grow without you having to pay any taxes on it. So that's money that you don't have to send to the US Treasury. That's money that can stay invested in that whole life policy and it can be used to increase both the cash value and the death benefit through the paid up additions writer. What I'm basically trying to say is that indirectly because you're not having to pay taxes, that money is helping to increase the permanent amount of death benefit you're accumulating within your whole life policy. So indirectly, the government is helping you to pay for your life insurance policy. It really doesn't get much better than that. I mean, you think about the people who look at life insurance just as an expense item. Well, if you start looking at it in this way, where basically the government is saying, nope, you don't have to pay taxes on that growth, keep it invested, allow it to grow even larger, accumulate more death benefit, they're basically giving you an additional benefit of having more of this good stuff. I think that's awesome. And I asked this question of almost everyone. I asked them, you know, what direction do you think taxes will go in the future, income taxes? You think they'll go up, down, or stay the same? And 100% of anyone that I've ever asked that question to think that taxes will go up. And so if that's true, there is another expense that most people are not considering when they're using tax deferred qualified plans of the future tax obligation that everyone that I've asked thinks will go up in the future. And so w when we talk about whether or not whole life insurance is expensive, that's another, another area uh, from the, just from the tax perspective that we have to look at. So going a little bit deeper on the added value of what whole life gives you in terms of a tax benefit, uh, I think it's important to consider the tax deduction that you get with a 401k or IRA uh, when you're making a contribution. You get, you get a tax deduction for contributing to those government qualified retirement accounts, but there's a cost to that tax deduction. In reality, what it is, is a tax postponement. You're just postponing your taxes. And like you said, most people believe that taxes are going to be higher in the future. So that's number one. 
But then we dig a little bit deeper and we see that there's additional costs to postponing those taxes. And that for me is the lack of control, right? We, we give up control over that money to the government for the next 10, 20, 30 years plus, depending on your age. We give up the liquidity of that money. We give up the ability to leverage it into other assets, the ability to use it simultaneously in two places rather than one. We give up the ability to finance our cars, to take vacations with it, to start a business, to send our kids through college. We give up the ability to have security because a whole life policy, in addition to all these added values that you get, you get a blueprint of what your future values are going to be you know exactly where you're going to end up when you retire instead of that roller coaster ride where you have no idea when or where you're going to get off with a government qualified retirement plan. So really the cost of that deduction or postponement is much bigger than just the tax hit, the eventual tax hit you'll get. It's that opportunity cost that we talked about. Yeah. The opportunity cost all along the way. And then, you know, the, the two other areas in retirement that I think uh, we have to account for the cost is market volatility. One is market volatility. You know, what's the cost um, to, what's the cost to you going to be if while you're in retirement, you experience, you will experience a market loss and then you have to pull money out of that account that can then never grow back because you've pulled the money out. And so what, what is that, loss look like when instead you could have pulled that from a non-market correlated asset like life insurance and allowed your other investments to bounce back over a period of time because you didn't cannibalize it out of the out of the out of the um, retirement account so that's another area where by not having permanent life insurance that's another area where there is a greater expense that is not as often seen um, when, when we don't account for that. We're talking specifically there of using IBC as a volatility buffer, something that we covered in episode six. So if you haven't listened to that episode, that'd be a, a good one to do a deeper dive. And then can I bring up the, the second uh, topic in retirement is the permission slip idea. Yeah, I love it. And by having a guaranteed permanent death benefit, that allows us to get more out of all the other assets that we've accumulated over the course of our life. We can get more out of our retirement account. We can spend that retirement account down knowing that we have a permanent death benefit to go to our family when we do step over. We can, we can use the full value of our, of our home using something like maybe a reverse mortgage or a charitable remainder trust. That charitable remainder trust idea, we can offset a whole bunch of tax coming out of our other retirement accounts by, by using that charity and then getting some type of an annuity guaranteed income from the value of that, of that property. Lots of different things that, and strategies we could look at that increase the amount that we get to use and enjoy uh, while we're still alive that we can't do if we, if we want to you know, give something or leave something behind for the next generation. But we can only do that because we know we have this guaranteed tax-free death benefit at the end of it. That's awesome. And so hopefully these ideas are helping you to look at whole life in the right mindset. What else? Uh, is there anything else that we have not covered? You know, what's the value of something that you can't use because you either want to leave it behind for someone or it's locked away 
because you don't want to go above a certain tax bracket. Yeah. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. And it's really important that you understand the full value, what you're unlocking with a dividend paying whole life policy. Excellent. All right. Well, if uh, that's it, then I think we've hopefully got a, a number of takeaways for the listeners who are thinking about whole life as being expensive or maybe looking at it purely from that mindset of, you know, what is it going to cost me without seeing, you know, the bigger perspective and what you actually get when you take a dividend paying whole life, structure it properly and utilize it as a financial tool, like what we teach with IBC. Absolutely right. And so, um, I, again, I, we'll have some, some additional notes on the fifth edition.com. Uh, we'll we'll break down uh, some tables and a graph and show you where we are coming up with the uh, net compound cost of those two different insurance products. And uh, looking forward to talking again, John. All right. Wonderful. Thanks. Thank you, everybody.